Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is Billboard.com Deputy Editor Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hey, Keith. How are you, Katie? Doing great. Holy movie music, Batman. Hey. Today on the show, we're talking all about the 20th anniversary of the Batman and Robin soundtrack. Mm, because the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. This week, Andrew will be chatting with Billboard Charts Manager Kevin Rutherford about the 20th anniversary of the extremely of-its-time Batman and Robin soundtrack, (laughs) analyzing some of its biggest hits and misses, and sharing some of our favorite Batman and Robin-related memories. So stay tuned for that in just a few moments. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, and give us a rating or review while you're at it. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or at KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. So before we join Andrew, let's talk a little bit about the, at times, wildly successful and ambitious Batman soundtrack, starting with 1989's Batman, composed entirely by Prince, and continuing with 1992's Batman Returns, whose soundtrack was basically Danny Elfman's score and one Susie and the Banshees song. Hmm. (laughs) So what happened there, Keith? I I don't know. (laughs) I mean, after the success of prince's batman which was a number one album and he had a number one single on the hot 100 with bat dance you'd think the sequel would have been at least michael jackson's batman returns <laughs> <laughs> well, can you imagine no no that would have never happened um but yeah it's just so odd that they decided to go into a score direction where those were just one song but maybe maybe um i don't know maybe you they can't just... get in the mind of tim burton yeah and then you know <laughs> And then, well, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? And then we continued with 1995's Batman Forever soundtrack, which spawned hit songs for Seal with Kiss from a Rose. Number one. And U2 with Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Not number one, but a huge hit. While also featuring (laughs) Brandy, The Offspring, Method Man, and The Flaming Lips. Sure, of course. (laughs) 
Um, I mean, when you look at that soundtrack, I mean, I loved Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Yeah. And I remember being so excited when I saw you two perform it for the first time. Well, not for the first time, but the first time I saw them perform it. Um, it was at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. So great. Um, it was on the Pop Mart tour. But yeah, I mean, the that soundtrack was just chock full of hits. And it came out in a time where soundtracks regularly had a boatload of huge hits yeah. on it. And, yeah. and hit music videos also. Yeah. Um, and wrapping up those 80s and 90s Batman soundtracks is 1997's Batman and Robin. So let's join Andrew for this week's Coming Around Again. Hello and welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's anniversary theme podcast celebrating milestone anniversaries in the music world. Uh, today we are joined by Kevin Rutherford, uh, chart manager for social streaming and rock and a regular guest on uh, my friend Chris Payne's Alternative Facts podcast. That's right. Uh, uh, this is your first time on Coming Around Again, Kevin. What's up? I'm pivoting. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> I like this. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, you get to be kind of like, uh, you know, like, like, like the, the Norm MacDonald of the late night circuit <laughs> that is the, the Billboard podcast. i I'll accept it. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say no to that. Uh, so I, I had a little trouble coming up with a, like an anniversary that I really wanted to talk about this week. You know, there's, there was a bunch available. There was a, the Nationals Boxer turns 10 this week. So one of my favorite albums, The Aughts. Mm. Uh, the yeah. Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen turns 40 this week. It's a, you know, maybe the most important punk rock single ever. But didn't really feel right for this podcast. Uh, but then, I, at long last, I discovered uh, the soundtrack to, to the, the classic Joel Schumacher 1997 <laughs> film Batman and Robin. <laughs> Turns 20 this Saturday, and uh, I figured nobody better than our our, our kind of co-expert on uh, late 90s alt-rock ephemera. (laughs) That's that's you, Kevin. Thank uh, you. Thank you. uh, So glad to have you on, man. Yeah. No, this is is great. I I loved uh, when you you first, like, pitched this to me, like, hey, we should do this. (laughs) This is hilarious because I have so many... Like I, I, I didn't necessarily grow up with the soundtrack per se, mm-hmm. but I did grow up with the movie. And sure. it's one of those movies that's like, you know, at the time I watched it and, you know, I enjoyed it because I was fine, yeah. <laughs> seven years old when it came out. Of course, I was going to enjoy it. But uh, then when I, I, I grew, I, I had this more of this appreciation for it as I've grown, grown older, just in the just the whole just the whole spectrum of what that movie does. Um, There's a lot going Good on. and bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and we'll certainly talk about the movie later. Uh, this, yeah. The soundtrack I actually did own at the time. I think I was, I was, I was, I was 10 or 11 when it came out. And it, 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 was, it was sort of – the soundtrack is it's a good kind of like signpost for where like music, popular music in general and like the kind of music that would be on these film soundtracks was at the time. It, it, it was, mm-hmm. It's still like – still part of the, the kind of the alternative era. Like uh, we, we had – you know – I think the the, the the soundtrack that kind of set the tone for for '90s soundtracks in general came out five years earlier, and that was that was the single soundtrack, which uh, just got a, the 25th anniversary reissue last week, and that was, you know, that that was entirely grunge based and had all the biggest bands at the time to kind of set the template for these soundtracks that collect all the all like the biggest names around right now, and you have a couple uh, you know, spinoff singles that are big on radio, and you have you know the videos that integrate clips from the movies and stuff like that, and then and that that was sort of. The, the standard mold at the time, and Batman and Robin has a bunch of that, uh, but it, it's also kind of starting to drift from a little bit further from that center. Like the, there's there's pop songs, there's kind of trip hoppy songs, there, there's some yeah. electronic songs on it. Uh, so like, I, I asked you to listen to it for the first time, probably in, <laughs> in a long time, if not ever, yeah. uh, in preparation for this podcast. Was did it sound coherent at all to you, or is it just like a, a total mess? Uh, it's it's weird. It's like I, I wouldn't call it incoherent, but there is there is some moments where I'm. 
not quite getting it. Well, I, I shouldn't say not quite getting it. I feel like there's like two, there's almost like two halves of the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and there was like the the R. Kelly and the Bone Thugs and stuff like that. And I feel like that fits together really well. Yeah. And then you have like something like Smashing Pumpkins or like Goo Goo Dolls. It's kind of on the other end for me. And then maybe there's something like that Maloko song that kind of maybe <laughs> bridges the gap a little bit, but it I, it does still feel a little. Maybe maybe not disjointed, but maybe, maybe that is the word. I don't know. Like it's, but at the same time, it does really feel like a 1997 uh, soundtrack album. Yeah. So in that way, I guess uh, I guess mission accomplished or something. Yeah, know. and it, it certainly takes its shots. Like it, it kind of goes for the for the volume shooter approach. Like it's like, all right, yeah. well, you know, we'll get we'll get everyone. You know, maybe the Smashing Pumpkins fans and the R. Kelly fans aren't like necessarily the same fans, but we'll get both of them mm-hmm. and. and uh, and we'll, we'll include a little bit of something for everybody yeah. and, and hope that, that works out. And we'll we'll bookend with Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> right. somehow, which is like, I mean, has that ever been done? Probably. So the, the soundtrack actually was, you know, decently successful. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think when most people think of, like, music from the Batman series, they think of either, you know, the Prince Batman, which was, you know, maybe not one of his greatest works, but certainly like a, like a defining moment in, in Prince as a pop culture figure. And uh, Bat Dance was the number one hit and... Uh, mm-hmm. The album sold very well, or or they think of the Batman Forever soundtrack, which was uh, the one before this came out in 1995. Yeah. Also had a number one hit in uh, Seals Kiss from a Rose, and I, th- I think it you know it, it had some weird like website tie-in that made it like the first soundtrack of its kind to have its own website, so something like that. But it, it, it was very much like a like a soundtrack of its time. It had songs by by U2 and The Offspring mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other kind of of the moment uh, alt rock bands. Uh, but this is the only soundtrack. I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you have the, the stats in front of you. But I think this is the only Batman soundtrack to actually have three top ten hits. Yeah, yeah, three top tens, which is kind of kind of nuts. I mean, like that. But like, I guess at that point, Batman was kind of riding high. You know, even though Batman Forever, I don't think was like a major critical success. It was certainly a commercial success. I think mm-hmm. it was like the number two grossing film of that year, or something like that. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know, people were going to, like, sit here and, like, they were still on the Batman train. And uh, in the album, like you said, I mean, it sold pretty well. It was it was one of the more popular albums of the year. I don't think it, it did, or I don't think, it definitely did not hit number one. But it was a, it was number five, I think, and uh, sold pretty well. Batman was still a big thing, so, of course, this album was going to probably do sure. well. Um, but... And I think yeah. maybe we didn't know at the time exactly what the movie was going to be. Yeah, uh, and, and I think the movie actually did. You know, it, it, it wasn't like a, a flop. You know, even though it's it kind wasn't, of seen no. as a, as a yeah. critical disaster, and, and you know, various people involved with it have, have kind of theorized that it, it sort of killed the franchise until uh, <laughs> until Christopher Nolan uh, resurrected it a couple decades later. Sure, uh, but. Uh, you know the, the other movies were you know not necessarily critical darlings, but they were decently well received, and, mm-hmm. and this had a lot of the same people involved as Batman Forever, which was you know it was was a generally liked movie and obviously very successful. So it, it's it's not surprising that the soundtrack should have had kind of a lot of resources put into it. Three top ten hits does seem like a lot, yes. though, especially because you don't think uh, it doesn't have that one like Kiss from a Rose or Bat Dance type right. single that like you you automatically come to associate. Yeah, with. And, and I feel like really only maybe one of those songs that did hit top 10 are songs that you might even still hear today. Right. And that's Foolish Games by Jewel. And even that's a little, you don't hear it that much. I mean, I feel like it was, it was, it was was clearly huge in this time. Yeah. but like, when was the last time you heard like Gotham City by R. Kelly? (laughs) Uh, When was the last time you heard the the Bone Thug song? What's what's the name of the song? Look Into My Eyes. Look Into My Eyes. I I, I was like, eyes something. Yeah. Yeah. Look Into My Eyes. Yeah. It's, 
when was the last time you heard those songs? Uh, it's like, the last time was when I, when I listened to the soundtrack. Well, besides, you know, before that, besides it, that, it had yeah. definitely been a while. And, and you mentioned Foolish Games, and that to me is like the weirdest one of all. Like, so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't even know if most people remember that this was that this. That, that that version of that song came from the Batman Rattles oh, you know, I didn't. <laughs> obviously, it was on uh, Jules, you know, Diamond Mega Selling uh, Pieces of You album. I think mm-hmm. it was the third single from that. But I think on the album originally, it was like a different version that they, they, they either re-recorded or remixed it for the yeah. Batman Robin soundtrack. But yes. it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like Jewel hanging out with Chris O'Donnell in the video or anything <laughs> like that. It, it, right. It, it was. It was just her in like the uh, like a almost black and whitish setup just kind of singing dramatically at the camera i think uh yeah but yeah like definitely not the sort of like it was a very very melodramatic ballad very like <laughs> personally kind of like like venomous and no, no yeah. pun intended with the, with Batman and robin uh, but uh but uh definitely very very not like your classic soundtrack single I mean, did, did you have a favorite of those three songs of those three i you know, I, I hadn't heard Foolish Games in a pretty long time before this, and mm-hmm. now that I've heard it, I I think I I kept coming back to it. Okay, I'm not a. I mean, Gotham City's fine, and I think the um, Look into My Eyes is also fine, but I don't know. I, I I think I I definitely come back to Foolish Games quite a bit, and I think that the mix that they end up doing for this album um, is also the, the superior mix. Yeah. Um, I just. Yeah, that song's great, and I kind of forgot it, about it it's, until it's yeah. so like angry. Like, like, like you don't yeah. you, you don't necessarily think of Jewel being in that kind of Tori Amos like class of like just vengeful songwriting. Yeah. but like this was kind of like I, I was thinking about it recently when you know, we, we we did that uh that best chorus list of the century, mm, and yeah. uh, it, it caused me to go back to Christina Perry's Jar of Hearts. <laughs> good, that's that's good. I like that. Which is yeah. like kind of like, like this was kind of the Jar yeah. of Hearts of its time. I that's guess. fair. That's fair. And yeah, I guess you don't really think of her as like a Tori Amos type nowadays, but you know, at this point, this was this was a jewel that was actually getting some alternative yeah. radio play. I mean, this I mean, "You Were Meant for Me" was her final song that got played there, and this was, that was the preceding single to this. But this was someone who you it wouldn't be have been weird at that point to have heard there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I guess that this was definitely a different a different jewel than I guess what we are used to now with her, which I I, I forgot totally. I'm like, what has she done? With? Like, and I realized, <laughs> oh yeah, she put an album in like 2015. It was, on, Sh- it was on Sugar Hill. Uh, it was kind of like a folk album. Oh wow, that's kind of what she's doing now. So um, she's just kind of like making her way through all like, the, the roots genres. I think so, in a way. Yeah, you know, I know that she had an album. I think 2010 that was like more of a country right, album. Yeah, I that, vaguely remember that. That, uh, that got some airplay. Uh, the last one didn't uh, mm-hmm. really, but. Uh, yeah, she's she's definitely far away from from that. Which, you know, name me name me too many like singers of kind of her ilk from that era right, who still right. are. There's not too many who are still doing the same thing. No sir. Uh, so I guess it's not totally totally shocking. But uh, and, and the, the bone th- the bone thug song uh, "Look Into My Eyes" like that was definitely like a like a riding the momentum of East 99 Eternal and specifically mm-hmm. the Crossroads, which. It was like the third single off that album. I think it was actually the last single off that album, but was obviously their biggest hit, one of the biggest hits of 1996, and and a, yeah. kind of like a classic single. And they, they were kind of in that period uh, where like they were just you know, they were killing time before their next album. So they they had a couple of soundtrack singles. I remember they had one off the Set It Off soundtrack mm. uh, called Days of Our Lives, which, which I liked a lot. Uh, this one looked in my eyes. It's 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 fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. But it, it definitely wouldn't have been a hit if, if, <laughs> if it hadn't been, you know, immediately following the crossroads. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like a, like a, a Bone Thug song that they just stuck on yeah. a soundtrack. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll give you this. You yeah, know, sure. it, it doesn't feel like it has any sort of any sort of relation to the movie. Not that a lot of the songs in the album necessarily <laughs> do, <laughs> but 
it just it definitely does feel like a bit of a just like oh, okay here yeah. take take this in you know and, and we took it and we were glad for it but yeah, yeah sure. but uh Actually, the lead single off this album, if memory serves at least, uh, wasn't any of these songs, and it was one of the ones we've already talked about, which is which was the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, The End is the Beginning is the End, not to be confused with The Beginning is the End is the Beginning, which uh, you know, so the, the two bookending songs on that album. Yeah. Uh, same song, slightly different lyrics in the verses. Uh, you know, one, One's a little bit uh, more down-tempo, the other's a little bit kind of like an industrial rock thing. Yeah. Uh, at this at the time, I think they probably would have bet that this, this was going to be the biggest song on the album because... At the time, Smashing Pumpkins were probably like, if not the biggest, then one of the biggest bands in the world. You know that they were riding mm-hmm. off of, uh, like, kind of like Bone Thugs, they were riding off the high of their last album, which was Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, came out two years earlier, mm-hmm. and the singles just ruled radio and ruled MTV all the way through 1996, and basically right up to to the release of, of this one. Uh, what, what do you think of these songs? Do you think that they, they kind of live up to, to the Melancholy mold, or is it, is, it, is it not a surprise that they weren't as big a hit as, as, some, as some of those singles were? Well, I, I want to say first, with, with, with regards to these songs, that I had never really heard them until like 2008. Really? And do you know why this is? I, was it was one of them in a trailer? The watch, the okay. Watchman trailer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I the, vaguely uh, the, remember that. The, the the slower one. I think it's the beginning. The beginning is the, is the, yeah. the beginning. Sure. That that one was in the Watchman trailer. I'm sitting here like, oh, this is, I like <laughs> this. You know, I, I was. What like, is this I, new Smashing what, what is this song? song? You know, and then I I learned later, like, oh, this is first of all, there's another version. To, which I at the time I preferred the slower. Now I think I prefer the okay. more industrial. I, I don't know why I sw- I shifted, but I have. I don't know whatever. But yeah, like that's how I first came to know these songs, and it is kind of surprising that they weren't bigger hits, or, or, or that the, the single wasn't at least because at that point, Smashing Pumpkins were, as you mentioned, they were like the the big band, and uh, I mean it still did fine. It was still I think uh, where was it on the yeah, it was like it was number four in alternative songs. Okay. So you know, I saw that it won a Grammy too for for like best hard, hard rock, rock performance. Yeah, 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 in '98. Yeah, um, so I mean, it did it did pretty fine in its uh, its normal the normal Smashing Pumpkins lane. But mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of like a major worldwide Hot 100 hit single, eh. and I don't know if they were necessarily banking on that or not because, frankly, I don't know why they would because they have all of these other songs that are way more of the i think hot 100 times at that point because yeah. it was very hip-hop um and so they they had you know r kelly and they had bone thug so it's like well why not and then you know then they had like the the slow mid to low, to low tempo songs you know i think that 97 was the year that candle in the wind was such a big <laughs> huge... i don't think they could have predicted that at the time well yeah. sure yeah but like that that was kind of like what was going on at that time so i think mm-hmm. foolish games made sense too so sure if they ever, I don't know if they tried to send this as like a, you know, okay, top forty, you want to play this too? I don't know if they did or not, but <laughs> top forty politely declined. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that was the case, but like, I don't know why they would have because mm-hmm. they had so many other songs that made way more sense. I think as like not just the lead single, but as like mm-hmm. the more like the, the 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 big popular single. This made yeah. a lot of sense for alternative rock though, and yeah, and no, it was as I, as you mentioned, it was kind of a. Certainly a notable hit at the time, but definitely not on the level of like a 1979 or a bullet with butterfly wings or anything like that. But I, I do remember them them pumping like a lot of resources into the music video, which was mm-hmm. like that like the band floating basically in a gigantic Batman mask. Yeah, uh, it's 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 very much of its time. Uh, sure, all, all, re- very recommended viewing for all those listening. Uh, but I, so this is actually one of like my I don't know if it's one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkins songs. It's one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkins periods, like because uh, sure. you know, they were basically. 
in this moment in you know in between albums and they're just kind of tossing off singles and like this so they have they have this for for Batman and Robin they have a really underrated song called I which is on the Lost Highway soundtrack it's one mm-hmm. of my all time favorite Smashing Pumpkins songs yeah great song absolutely uh, I think even they, I think this this is also the year they 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 uh, they do their Christmas song yes. for a, like a very a very special very merry Christmas camera what it's called the com- one of those compilations yeah, something like that yeah, uh, yeah. and like. It's not exactly the same thing, but I kind of compare it to like where Justin Bieber is at right now, where it's like he's he's wrapped up the, the purpose album cycle, like no more singles from that album. He's already pulled all all that he possibly can from that. Mm-hmm. Not really ready to get into the next album yet, but like in the meantime, he's just like throwing hits everywhere. He's like, yeah. okay, uh, you know, Louis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee, you want a song? Got it. DJ Khaled, here's a number one hit. Major Lazer, and it's yeah. just you know, it, it's this is kind of this is kind of the 1997 version, on a slightly <laughs> smaller scale. Of, of Justin like Bieber. Like alt-rock version. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if I, you would say that the Pumpkins were necessarily as big as Bieber were. Bieber is now that they were back then, but they were they were not far off. They were one of yeah. the biggest things going on in music. Oh, 100%. Yeah, they were based, this is basically just a way for them to kind of, I think, buy some time yeah. before a door. And I looked up a stat on the on the band that I thought was really interesting. I, I'm sure this has been reported before at some point in Billboard history. But they were in the midst at this point of seventeen straight top tens on alternative songs. Wow! You know who's done that before? No one. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever done that. And the craziest thing about that to me also is the fact that you know how many they have total top tens? Oh, seventeen. <laughs> no, seventeen. But like this, this was it. This was where <laughs> they started there with, um, I think, uh, Cherubrock. Okay. And they ended with um, Tarantula in 2007. All right, so, so this is sort of like the midpoint of that. Well, maybe, yes. maybe a little bit closer to the end. A- about the midpoint. Okay. But yeah, they were in the midst of this unprecedented streak. Wow. Uh, well, it wasn't unprecedented at the time. I don't think they were like the, the streak was, was Right, it was probably like 10 or 11 at this point. Yeah, but like it ended up being, like they were, it was crazy. And yeah. one, also one of the crazy things to me is that even throughout that streak, they only had one number one. Which was the number one? Uh, 1979. All right, well, that, that, um, that's, that's the one it should Yeah, no, so I'm not fun, saying yeah. that's, that's yeah, it's certainly what, what it should have been. But yeah, they were they were the biggest, they were the biggest band out there. I mean, in 17 top tens is like, I think, tied for six all time, mm. period. And this is, this is, again, a crazy streak. They were just absolutely everywhere when it came to alt radio, when it came to uh, harder rock radio as well. And, uh, by this point, you know, you had the the lead stuff from Melancholy that you, again, did very well. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the uh, Lost Highway, I. Um, then after this, you know, they had, we basically had nine months off from them. Okay. And then that's when Adore, the Adore right. single started to come out. But, like, yeah, it's just, this was, like, just another, another hit in a very long very yeah, lucrative it, streak. Of... It, it was never quite the same again. I think no, after this, like, not at you know, all. Adore was, you know, it, it was a successful album and you know, probably went platinum, maybe double platinum, but like, like melancholy went diamond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, th- after that, it, it was clear that like both alt rock was not really going to be the thing anymore. And that like, it, like the doll rock that was in vogue was going to be much less like overblown and pretentious than than the direction yeah. that Smashing Pumpkins were going. You were starting to see that at that point, even. I mean, this mm. is this ninety seven's the era era when Smash Mouth had their number one. <laughs> so um, sure. by that point, yeah, it was starting to kind of shift, and uh, you didn't hear nearly as hard, loud guitars mm-hmm. as you do on uh, the single from this album, or really anything of theirs. And you know, they they still did pretty well with the Adore singles. I think there was two of them. 
but there's just two of them and then yeah. they that was it and then they, they they came back in the 2000s and still did fine but you know yeah melancholy six six top 10 singles and then these two soundtrack songs i mean they were just they were on fire then but but and i, I, I yeah. do wonder like what the the Batman and Robin music supervisor thought when like the Pumpkins filed their song and like that's like a pretty good like up tempo industrial rock song. I, I, I was mm-hmm. going nuts like like air drum into it the other day when I was listening <laughs> to it. Uh, and they say, "Oh, great, great song, Billy. Like, what's it called?" He's like, "Oh, the end is the beginning is the end." Okay, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, so, so what yeah, does like, that? Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, I guess maybe you're used to it with, with the Pumpkins at this point. You know, like, it's not like "Bullet with Butterfly Wings" is exactly like yelled out in the chorus of that song either. But <laughs> but like yeah, that's kind of an unwieldy title for for your lead single. So, <laughs> Absolutely, uh, p- pity to, to, to whoever had to market that one. We talked a lot about the, the, be, the like the hits on this album. Do you have any kind of favorite like lesser known songs or songs that stood out uh, to you on, on listening? That, yeah, uh, that you didn't know before. It's tough. It's tough to call. You know, like what's what's a deep cut in this case because eight of the thirteen songs ended up making a Billboard chart. Wow. At some point, okay. you know, at least two of them were like the Dance Club songs mm-hmm. charts. You know, we're not talking necessarily huge chart hits, but they at least made something. Um, so these songs were in some sense known in 97 um at least uh so you know what what wasn't played you know well right. the rem song is one of them yeah it's and, a weird rem song yeah it's a weird rem song i guess it was an outtake from uh what was the name of the album from 94 uh that had monster monster yeah, yeah thank okay. you yeah it, it was i guess it was an outtake from from that era <laughs> um yeah i don't i don't hate that song but i think like i think what i'm trying to say here is i, I kind of felt like i had to dig a bit That's interesting. in order to find a song that was more of like a deep cut that I actually really liked and the one exception to that I think is the Lauren Christie song uh, oh boy I don't even remember uh, that, that, one. that one's a breed and, okay uh, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. And, and she's she's interesting you, you know what she ended up doing after no this? I, I did tell me she became part of the Matrix oh like the songwriting team yes, the Matrix wow right? okay and she's still writing she was one of the writers on Me Myself and I by uh, Jeezy Last really year. right I, wow. I was i was okay. shocked to read this i didn't i didn't know this before like no, that is very interesting to me the, the matrix for all those unfamiliar with like a songwriting collective mm-hmm. in, the, in the aughts they had big hits with with avril lavigne and, yes. and was was fair when she was doing her pop thing and a couple mm-hmm. other people yeah yeah they were big they even had an album that came out that uh, had katie perry on a uh, lead vocals oh really? uh it uh it ended up being shelved because then katie started getting big and so then they were like uh, let's put this out. So, like, I think it finally came out like five years late in like 2009 or something. But like, that's a also just a very weird thing. If you ever look up the matrix, yeah, that's like, a, Hey, is that Katie curio. singing? Well, Hey, there you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, that Lauren Christie song, I kind of dig like okay. it's, it's got, it's almost like a weird, like days of the new meets Alanis Morissette sort of vibe to it. In a way. <laughs> uh, exactly. What, what radio programmers were looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Probably, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, but that, that's one of the songs that didn't hit a chart, mm-hmm. uh, but she had a couple I think adult top 40 or adult contemporary hits, one of the two. And then she ended up joining the matrix and, Mm -hmm. you know, has made, I'm sure plenty of money since doing that, but, uh, (laughs) more money than she made for her. uh, Most likely. Yeah. But, uh, I kind of dig that song. I don't know. What what about you? I I guess maybe this is one of those eight, uh, charting singles, but I I like the Maloko song that you mentioned. Mm. Fun for me. That was, it's, uh, yeah, 
you know, it's 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 yeah, kind of trip hoppy vibe, but but also yeah. like with like a with like a, a very big like almost G funk like synth hook. Like it's it's kind of mm-hmm. got that like Dre Day stomp to it, which which I like. Uh, sure. And uh, the underworld song Moner, which is an absolutely <laughs> insane. Uh, well, it's an insane song to begin with, uh, yeah. and it's insane that it made it to the soundtrack. But it's a this is this unbelievably like aggressive uh, eleven minute uh, house track or yeah. you know, trance, I guess maybe. But it's, it's way too uh, yeah w- way too violent to be considered trance. I think. But yeah, I agree. It has this unbelievably like like screamed, ranted uh, Carl Hyde vocal that just mm-hmm. goes on forever, and, and yes. there's no break, and there's no chorus, and it's. I'd say, like, if you were to find one song that kind of sounds like the movie Batman and Robin feels, it'd probably be oh, Motor yeah. Underworld, yeah. 100%. And the, the, one of the, my favorite things about that that song is where it's placed on the soundtrack, like, order, which is, like... Yeah, it's, like, second from the end, right? Yeah, it's right after, like, the, oh, hey, let's shoehorn part of the score in. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, and then, like, then suddenly there's, like, this 10-minute, like, it's Underworld like, if you're song. you're still listening at this point, here's Motor by Underworld. <laughs> And then sure. at this point, you're probably not expecting, you're probably thinking like, oh, is this just like something from like the score they just like put in? It was like, it's like playing during one of the part, parts of their, like in a dance club or something. Mm-hmm. And then they put the Smashing Pumpkins song at the end again. Very weird order at the end of that. <laughs> like, I don't know why they didn't put these like before the score. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that song, that song rules if you have the, if you have the patience for it, at least. <laughs> yeah. You have to kind of be, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely like a not safe for work kind of listening song. Like mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're driving, as long as you're not driving too fast, like it, sure. it, that, that, that's, that's the place for it, I think. Uh, sure. But yeah, it, it's, 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 it definitely stands out at the end of that soundtrack. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I asked you before we, we got on here, uh, if, if you, if you could think of like, like one or two artists that, aren't on this soundtrack but very conceivably could or maybe even should have been did you come up with any good names for that yeah i mean this was i this is such my brand but i'm gonna i'm gonna say you know live was huge at this point uh, why not put live on this gotta thing? represent for live i gotta represent yeah. for live but yeah secret sonati was like a huge album this year um, not as big as Rolling copper of course but it was still pretty mm-hmm. big and they had some i think lakini's juice went number one at all to turn my head was uh top five and sound wise, I mean, it doesn't feel that weird to like, you know, what they were doing with that album at that yeah, point. Could've, could've I, I feel like, like a dark song on, on yeah, the yeah. side two or something. At this point, I don't think they were necessarily doing a whole lot of soundtracks that end up changing around the 2000s. I think they were on the Mummy Return soundtracks. <laughs> uh, with, with, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that five years. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. We will come back to that. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I feel like they would have worked. Um, the Prodigy, maybe. The Prodigy you know? is actually one of the ones yeah. that I love too. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, yeah, or like the Chemical Brothers. In the same um, vein as the yeah, World song, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like they would have worked. Um, even like, shoot, 97 was when the Great Malenko by Insane Clown Posse came out. Oh, wow. I, I don't know, like... I that's feel, almost too on the nose, I feel do like. Do you feel like it might have been? Maybe like, maybe that's why. <laughs> like, I, I bet you Insane Clown Posse were actually in this movie somewhere <laughs> as, like, as like some of like the, the you know, henchmen's number six through ten or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's fair. But that's a good call. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought of The Prodigy. And the other one that I thought of, like... I was I was trying to think like could we get like a ska band in here? Oh my but, god, I have some of them down too. Yeah, but but like I, it, it wouldn't have felt quite right. It's a little too up tempo, a little yes. too jaunty. Maybe what I, what I did think of was Squirrel Nut Zippers. Ooh, okay. Who, like they're they're kind of ska swing adjacent, but uh, they are also like a little jazzier, and they're kind of they kind of have like a like a like a retro forties thing going on. Yeah, and that's yeah. sort of what what Batman and Robin the movie is going for is this kind of retro comic book cartoon vibe. Totally. So I, I feel like that that they, they totally could have could have slotted in there and, and not have been that conspicuous. 
I feel you totally. Uh, there's even like a scene in the movie, like like, like a couple of the party scenes they have, like kind mm-hmm. of '40s jazz sounding music to it. Uh, so sure, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So slide scroll the zippers in there, uh, and actually, like that leads me to my next point, which is that really, like, so it, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen this movie, but if you had to guess, like, how many songs from the soundtrack are actually in the are actually used in the movie, like pre credits. Do you know the answer? I, I, I do because I, <laughs> I I watched this movie on HBO Go um, a couple days ago. I had, to, I had to skip through some parts. That's but, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I did see it on HBO Go. Uh, I, from what I remember from this movie, I think there's like two. You're exactly oh, right. Oh, there's oh, like yeah? two, two songs. They're in the same scene. And it's, it's actually the two songs that I mentioned as, as my favorite deep cuts. It's the Maloko Fun For Me song and Underworld's Moaner. I thought are, Underworld was in it. Okay, Are cool. in the scene where... Uh, so Batgirl, played by Alicia Silverstone, like sneaks off the the Wayne Manor campus with one of the one of her motorbikes. Yes, uh, and and she has to go do some like like proto Fast and the Furious kind of street drag race thing, and and Robin chases after her, and they end up both almost dying, whatever. Uh, but mm. the two the two songs are, are used in that scene. But there's so many other scenes in this movie where they almost go out of their way not to use one of the songs from the soundtrack, <laughs> like. So yeah. they're, uh, one of the one of the very very deep cuts on the soundtrack is a cover of uh, Poison Ivy. I can't remember who was originally by another Rolling Stones did a famous version of it, but uh, on the soundtrack it's done by I think uh, Michelle Ndegio Cello, who's a very mm-hmm. big neo soul artist at the time. Uh, and they actually so the, the 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 introduction of the character Poison Ivy, which was you know the Uma Thurman villain character, uh, is at one of the big party scenes, like a big Gotham ball. And, uh, like, she has her big entrance, and they play an instrumental version of Poison Ivy. Oh, okay. And, and like, if you don't even know the song, the, 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 the joke's not even there, because they don't say Poison Ivy in it. But, like, you have the song on the soundtrack, why not just use it? Like, <laughs> it made no sense to me. That's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe that would be too on the nose. But then again, <laughs> I don't think this movie was too concerned about that. No, so. no, on the nose, this was not an issue there. But, but <laughs> in general, this is kind of where soundtracks were going at the time. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I mentioned singles before. Those songs, like, very much, like, informed the movie. Like, like you, Cameron Crowe, the director of the movie, is, like, interviewed mm-hmm. about it later, and he says, oh, yeah, like, I was listening to those songs all the time. Certain songs inspired certain scenes, certain uh, emotions from, from some of the songs inspired certain moments. Uh, by this point, like all pretense is just totally out the window about like these songs actually mattering in the movie. Yeah, and, and you have like these, uh, so you have songs for like songs from and inspired by soundtracks where yeah. it's like, okay, th- these songs we just got them, we're, we're throwing them together. They might have something to do with the movie. They might not. They might be outtakes recorded years earlier. No, no knowledge that they were ever going to be used on this soundtrack. <laughs> but but that, that that that's just kind of like 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 where where the soundtrack was at that time. Yeah. It, so do you have any other kind of favorite soundtracks from this period? Like like ones that you either like you think of as, as being definitive of the time or ones that you owned growing up or, or mm. anything else that, that kind of like fits this mold of, of the late 90s soundtrack? Uh, uh, I feel like the Men in Black soundtrack kind of comes to okay, mind. Sure. Uh, or maybe like Space Jam. Space uh, Jam was like, like the best case scenario, <laughs> I would say, for this. Yeah, Space Jam for sure. Um, also, uh, one of the soundtracks that I kind of revisited that I hadn't listened to in quite a few years was the Spawn soundtrack. I'm glad you mentioned the Spawn soundtrack. Tell, tell the people a little bit about the Spawn yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, the Spawn soundtrack was like this, this, uh, this came out also in 97, and it, they basically paired alt-rock band or not even necessarily alt-rock bands I mean like it depends on what you consider someone like Marilyn Manson. Yeah, you know, industrial sometimes. Industrial, sometimes hard, yeah. yeah. With like electronic trip hop, you know, artists and like almost I think every single song on that album is like so and so paired with so and so. You know, right. it's like and you get this and it doesn't always work, but <laughs> to say the least. My no, yeah. 
God, it's fascinating. It's just like, it's very, it feels very like one of the most of the times I feel like albums probably of 97 in terms of soundtracks, which there were plenty. I mean, the soundtrack was huge in 97. I was like, I was sitting here thinking like, oh, I'll just like kind of see, you know, which soundtracks from like 97 hit like the top 40 on the Mm -hmm. Billboard 200. There was just like a ton of them. I'm just like, (laughs) oh, I can't, I can't go through all of these. But the Spawn one did. did Yeah, this is definitely kind of like the the, the last great year for the, for the, for the kind of various artists movie soundtrack. But yeah, yeah Spawn is, I listened to that for the first time in a while too recently. And it, it's fast. That, that album's like the missing link, basically. It, it, it's like, <laughs> if you want the, the exact midpoint of the industrial, uh, big beat and new metal eras, like yeah. that's, that's the exact midpoint is this is the Spawn soundtrack. 100%. Uh, cannot recommend like, like for, for like cultural archivists of the late nineties, Cannot recommend it highly enough yeah. for people who actually want an album to listen to. Uh, maybe, but uh, hey, that that point that's that's where you got a pre-fame Incubus. That's that right, <laughs> so. totally unrecognizable as the Incubus. We right? Come to know oh my yeah. god, fascinating! They're paired with like DJ Greyboy or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah, yeah, you got Boy. like yeah, right, you got Butthole Surfers, you got Marilyn Manson with like ah, oh, geez, that's just such a who's who. I yeah. feel like that album is fascinating. Absolutely. I, I never saw I never saw Spawn the movie. Uh, certainly, I remember seeing commercials for it at the time. But uh, yeah. uh, I have seen Batman and Robin now. I think probably like a half dozen times at least. I, I don't know why <laughs> it was just on TV a lot. I guess when I was growing up, uh, I remember it being on. Um, I remember in high school it being on like HBO a lot. Yeah, like, and, like, like maybe like yeah. or maybe like the second or third HBO. Maybe yeah. not HBO proper. But <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, yeah, I feel like they played it a lot on that. So, like, I feel like I saw it a lot right. because of that, for sure. Yeah. Did you have any, like, favorite moments from this movie or, or oh, least favorite moments or just goodness. things you want to talk about? Where to begin? I mean, this movie is this movie is bad, but it's so bad and campy that it, I love it. Yeah. Also, and one of my favorite moments, I think, like, really illustrates this, this movie is, like, the moment where Poison Ivy becomes Poison Ivy, <laughs> and uh, they, they really kind of fast forward through it. By the way, they, it's they, they pretty get, quick. They, they give her character like one scene's worth of both origin story and yeah. like who she is as a character. I mean, it's 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 definitely yeah. like 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 get to the highlights. Already. Yeah, and like so it's like oh, I forget the name of the character, but it's uh he's play, played by John Glover. He's like the the mad scientist, mm-hmm. and just like. The whole like line delivery of like I'm afraid you'll have to die and then, like pushes her and like screams and like yeah. pushes her into like I'm just like that the just pit like of chemicals and yeah right and yeah it's... like that whole just like scene I'm just like what is going on here yeah um but like that that scene the scene where they're one upping each other um oh the auction scene at the auction where it ends with the back credit card oh, I love it's amazing card. <laughs> yeah that's tremendous and then just. This isn't really a specific scene, but, like, I saw once, and of course this happened, but, like, someone stitched together every single Mr. Freeze pun. I've, I've done that before, it's, like, on my own time with my own, like, dual-deck VHS VCR, yeah. It's, and it's amazing. There's just, like, so many. And, like, it's, it's, it's a lot of cringe, but, like, I can't not recommend this movie to someone who's not seen, or at least hasn't seen it in a while, just to, like kind of remember yeah. you know all of the all the great moments we shared <laughs> yeah. and i would say that so watching it again recently uh like the thing that struck me you know certainly like Ar- arnie gets like the he's he's like the, the the icon of this movie basically like if you remember yeah. one thing about the movie you remember arnold schwarzenegger's mr freeze and i'm a, i can't remember if he won a razzie for it. i'm sure he was at least nominated <laughs> uh but certainly like he, he, it's one of the iconic bad arnie movies I had forgotten just how terrible Uma Thurman is in this movie. <laughs> she is awful. Like, I mean, and, and probably like intentionally so. Like, obviously she's a she was a very acclaimed actress. Yeah. She's in Gatka the same year. She's very good <laughs> in that. 
but like her line readings as poison ivy, every one of them is is is, is, is like she like envisions the, like the, the little speech bubble coming out of her in the comic, yes. and like like the underlined words and the exclamation marks, and it's 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 really atrocious, but. But yeah. but oddly fitting, oddly fitting, sure, <laughs> and, and certainly like I, I I did a little reading about the movie uh, in preparation for this, and mm-hmm. apparently like before before he yelled action on every scene in this movie, uh, Joel Schumacher, the director, uh, reminded the cast like just remember everybody we're making a cartoon. Well, and everyone's like okay, so I guess that's that's kind of what we're doing here, and then and they were not necessarily inspired to like, deliver their like Shakespearean best <laughs> in terms of the acting. Oh, good lord, yeah, and like Chris O'Donnell also pretty Ugh. pretty. He's just like just one long like whine. Yeah, just, like, like, the mom, like, like, or, <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> yeah, like the whole time. Good lord, yeah. So like I actually dislike him more than this in this than oh, like yeah. Uma Thurman because at least Uma like yeah she's her line readings are terrible but like. It, it just feels like it fits. I'm like, I'm okay, whatever. The, the Chris O'Donnell, oh, good lord, yeah, I don't he, know. He, he's he's really intolerable to watch in this movie. Yeah, and, and George Clooney just feels like he's just accepting a check. Like, <laughs> there, there just does not seem. I'm here, but my mind is elsewhere. Yeah, no, there is like no of all the Batman Batman of, of over the years, uh, he feels like the least like interested in actually doing something mm-hmm. with the role. It's just like. Yeah, I'm George Clooney. I'm also Batman. Okay, cool. You know, here we go. Yeah, he's like the one Batman that you couldn't do an impersonation of if you wanted to. Like, you're, you're just doing George Clooney. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Even that, it feels like it's not like Clooney at his absolute Clooney. Like he doesn't yeah. even have any really good lines in it. There, there's some parts where it's like, like you're like the, the script is like waiting for the pun to be inserted, but but like no one ever got around to it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it, it's it's a bummer, but uh, yes, yeah. still still a very fun movie. Certainly, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, worth watching for uh, for 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 one reason or another. Yes. Uh, I think you could play a really good drinking game with it. Yes. So yes. just keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll try. We'll try to you know, see if we can Google and find one. We can link to it in, in, the, in this podcast article. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, but before we get going here, uh, uh, do you have an Arnold Schwarzenegger impre- impression for us, Kevin? I've never tried to do one. Do, do you I want can... to try to do one now? Oh, obviously. This All is right, on the this is on the internet. This will live forever. <laughs> what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Yeah, which also is the line that I would have gone for. That's probably the best Arnie line in the movie, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with a, one, one from the same scene, but, but a slightly different You're not sending me to the cooler. 100%. So yeah, so I'm, I'm happy with our performance on that one. I, I agree. Think, I think yes. we did all right. We uh, and yeah, and every line, we should say, every line Arnold Schwarzenegger has in that movie uh, is some sort of great freeze-related pun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if you were to, to stitch together uh, like... Like, like a super cut of his non like cold related dialogue in this movie, I think it would be like you know half a minute long, maybe. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, almost every short. single thing. All right, well, Kevin Rutherford, thank you so much for making your, your coming around again debut. <laughs> Thanks for having uh, me. Your your first ever live Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Hopefully uh, the last. Yeah, hopefully the last, but <laughs> at a historic occasion nonetheless. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.